Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are all bow hunting all the time. And today, I'm excited. I've got a good friend and an old friend for those of you who are familiar with Peterson's Bow Hunting, and that's Mr. Danny Ferris out of the great state of Colorado. How are you, Danny? I'm doing much better these days, Christian. I'm I'm doing much better than I was a week and a half ago. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> for those of you who are students of Peterson's bow hunting history, you might recognize Danny. He was the associate publisher at our fine magazine for how many years, Danny? Mm, a long time. Um over a decade? Yeah, 15 years. Close 15, to 15 years. Yeah. Yep. So Danny was a colleague and and you were here when I came on board back yep. in 08 and um gosh, you were a great resource for me. Uh always enjoyed spending time with you and and you know continue to as I have opportunity was able to uh, visit you out at your place in Colorado a couple of years back during turkey season but you know today we're going to dive into a topic that is is really a fun one if you're a bow hunter and that's the topic of like luck and momentum you know like yeah. is, is there such a thing can you be on a hot streak or a cold streak and i mean Gosh, if you bow hunt long enough, I think just about anyone is going to say yes, because yeah. there just there just seems to be times when you can almost do no wrong. Right, Danny, like you go out into the field and it gets to the point you're so confident you're like, I just know an animal is going to walk in front of me, present itself to die. And, and I'm going to put an arrow into it and, and it's going to fall over in, in sight. And then there's other times when you're like. I could have the greatest spot in the world. I could be the best shot in the world. I could have the perfect weather conditions, the red moon, you name it. And I guarantee you, I couldn't kill anything today if my life depended on it. Uh, it's, it's really funny because momentum is something that it, no one can quantify. No one can, you know, put their finger on exactly what it is or how it's created. Um, and I'm talking in all of sport, not just bow hunting. I'm talking in baseball, football, any athletics. And we've all watched it where a team that is just struggling um, and is, is frankly not a very good team or, you know, a, a hitter who is just not a very good hitter in baseball. And he's struggling. He's in this slump. And all of a sudden something good happens. And the next thing you know, something else good happens. And the next thing you know, this team that was kind of crappy, that was just, <laughs> that was just quite frankly, shit, all of a sudden, they are rolling. And, you know, and it's funny, off camera here, just a little bit ago, offline, Christian said, like the Denver Broncos. And I said, yes. Exactly like the Denver Broncos, you know, they're, they're, on, I'm a Broncos fan. I'm from Colorado. Christian is a, is a Patriots fan. He and I have gone head to head on football for a very long time. And, you know, right now the Broncos, they, man, they started out terrible 
And lo and behold, they beat the Green Bay Packers. And then they end up beating, you know, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And then they had a miracle game against the Bills. And now they they're right there with the Eagles and the best, you know, the 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 hottest win streak in the NFL right now. And the same thing, in my opinion, happens in bow hunting. Um, it's it's really funny because it's hard to quantitate. It's hard to quantify. And it's hard to prove that it has anything to do with anything. But I'm a firm, firm believer that we get into streaks. Oh, I, um, I've been streaky for as long as I can remember. And I've always run hot and cold. Yeah. And, the, the you know, and I, and I don't want to drag this off too long before I give people sort of the hook of why are we having this conversation today? And so I'm going to set it up. And say it's because Danny was basically having the bow hunting season from hell. Yeah, I was uh, from September through August. Okay, so from August through uh, last week, essentially. Yeah, yeah the then, worst fall that I can remember in recent memory. Yeah, and then and then you managed to literally kill two great bucks in the matter of whatever. four days. Four days. So. So we're going to dive into that and we're going to talk about how, you know, momentum, at least in our opinions, is a real thing in bow hunting and and how do you get in the rut and how do you get yourself out of a rut? And before we do that, though, Danny, I got to remind everybody that the Bow Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. They've got the gear. They've got the knowledge. They've got the passion. And with that, Danny, why don't you take us back to August? You're a Western guy. You live in Colorado. Okay, us Eastern guys are jealous because you get a big head start on us with your hunting because you have those mule deer, antelope, you know, seasons that open up there in August. So I'm sure you were getting yourself prepped all summer long and you were ready and raring to go when those first seasons opened up. Well, all right, I'm going to, this is going to be funny, and it's actually going to be a little bit hard for me to tell. Um, and I, for those of you that don't know, um, I host the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. Um, and host that podcast for Hoyt, um, have worked closely with Hoyt for a very long time. And this year, um, Jeremy Eldridge, the marketing manager over at Hoyt, said, Danny, we are going to be sending you a bow much earlier than we normally do. And uh, what we want to do is have you come out here to Utah. We're going to do a Utah mule deer hunt during, um, uh, I think it was starting on August 20th. And uh, we are hopefully going to get a couple of good mule deer kills and uh, gather a bunch of uh, creative and uh, some marketing assets to be used throughout the year. So typically, uh, I will get a new bow sometime during the middle of the fall, October or November. This year, I ended up getting my new bow during late July and was getting ready for this hunt uh, in Utah. And our antelope season here in Colorado starts on August 15th. Well, I called Jeremy and I said, Hey, Jeremy, has anybody, has anybody killed anything with this, uh, RX eight brand new RX eight Hoyt bow yet? And he said, Danny, you're, 
other than our engineers, you're the only one that has one. So no, nobody's killed anything with it yet. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rush out and I'm going to, you know, before these engineers and the guys over at Hoyt start hunting with this thing, I'm going to go kill an antelope here in Colorado. So I don't think I got to hunt on opening day um, or on the second day, but I think it was the 17th of August. So three days before I was leaving on this hunt uh, to go to Utah. Uh, I went out antelope hunting here close to home. And one of my favorite tactics is a tactic that I use for, for whitetails as well. But I'll take a 3D antelope decoy and I'll put it out in the wide open. And then I'll find just a little bit of cover for me to sit down in, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards away from that 3D antelope decoy. And I will put a bow mounted stalker decoy on my bow. And what it looks like from a distance is just an antelope out there feeding and another antelope bedded down right over by it and a lot of times the antelope aren't in the rut that time of year yet but they just see other antelope out there across the pasture and a lot of times they'll come and join up with them well on that morning i went in before dark and i set up um my 3d buck decoy right out in front of me and i sat down 10 yards from it and right after the sun came up here comes four antelope bucks over the horizon and they all fed their way over to an old windmill that didn't have any water in it. There was, but it had a bunch of weeds growing around it. And they all ran right over to that weedy windmill. And they were probably 150 to 200 yards from me and started feeding. Well, there were two big antelope bucks and two very small antelope bucks. And <laughs> after they got done feeding, they walked out and took another look at my little decoy set up down there. And then next thing you know, all four of them are running right to me. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is going to be great. Well, about 60 yards out, the two big ones, for whatever reason, stopped trotting and running and went to a walk. They're still headed right toward me. It's not like they thought anything was up. They were just, you know, we're not going to run down there like these two young pups are. Well. The next thing you know, the two young ones keep running right toward me. And the bad thing is now the two young ones are in my lap and I'm waiting for one of these two big ones to come down. Well, as I'm waiting for them to come down, the two young ones are walking a circle around me and my decoys at 15 yards. And now they're right off of my left shoulder and they can see me sitting there behind that bow mounted stalker decoy. And all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, what is that? You know, and the two big ones are now at like 30 yards. And I go to draw on one of the two big ones. Well, the little buck that's over here right behind me sees that motion and sees me behind the decoy drawing my bow and freaks out and runs. And they, they, they run off toward the big ones and it made the big ones jump and run. So I have to let down. And now all of a sudden, the all four antelope are out in front of me at like 60 yards. And they, they ran out there and then they stopped and looked at me again because the two big ones don't know why these little ones have just boogered. Well, I let down and I, I ranged the antelope at 60 some odd, like 61 yards. I go ahead and draw back on that big one. Well, now he's tuned up. You know, he knows something's goofy. I let that arrow go on him and that 
that buck jumped the string so bad that he was halfway to Kansas by the time the arrow got there. I mean, literally, it he turned and left before the arrow ever got to where he was standing. Well, they run out another 25 yards or so, and they still don't know what happened. They kind of did a half circle, and now they stop out there at 70 yards. Well, I'm in full-blown panic mode now. I mean, just nothing went like it was supposed to. Everything is falling apart. I'm trying to make really quick, instant, you know, split-second decisions, and I throw my rangefinder up on them, and I'm kind of trying to shoot right across the grass while I don't get a reading. I push it again. I don't get a reading. I push it again. Don't get a reading. Well, finally, I have to raise up out of the grass a little bit, and I ranged them and got a reading. I went ahead, and I dialed my sight to that reading, and I draw back again, and I put the pin on that antelope, and I let the, I, I let the shot go, and I just hear, pow, and I'm like, what in the world was that? And I felt something hit me in the leg when I did it, and I, you know, the antelope go running off. I never saw where the arrow went or anything like that. And I looked down, and I'm just trying to figure out that sounded like a dry fire. And I, I'm like, what, did the knock break or something like that when I let the arrow go? Well, I looked in my six arrow quiver and there's five arrows. in. What happened was literally the first shot missed, honest to goodness, but in all the excitement of trying to get the second shot off, I somehow, for the first time in almost 40 years of bow hunting, forgot to put the second arrow on my bow. So, literally, I dry fired my bow and dry yeah, fired we... it at these antelope. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we got some history on that. We've got friend. some history on that. Because only an idiot would do that. Right, only Chris? a moron. <laughs> only a moron would do that. <laughs> So, and, I mean, we're not we're not going to go into it, but the long well, story there, the inside joke there is many years ago on a red stag hunt in New Zealand, yours truly did the same thing. Uh, and I won't go into all the details, but I it was gave a, him a little heat. Yeah, he uh, first thought I was a little off my rocker. Uh, <laughs> I had we were stalking and I had had an arrow knocked and we went through some really thick brush and I took the arrow off and put it in my quiver. And when we got back, uh, basically hunting again, I forgot that I had taken it off and ended up dry fire in the bow. So it just goes to show Danny, it really can happen to the best of us. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, I gave Christian and I called him after this happened, said, listen, man, I owe you an apology because, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really did look at that. Like you were absolutely crazy. And how does somebody shoot you know, forget to put an arrow into the bow and then shoot it without knowing that you have an arrow. Well, I found out that it can it can happen. You get excited and things are happening quickly. It it can happen to the best of them anyway. So now I have dry fired this bow and I'm supposed to be yeah, there's one of like three in the world at the time, right? I'm supposed to be in Utah two days later on starting a mule deer hunt with this bow that is designed to promote this bow. And I'm in a panic. I look over the bow and miraculously, I mean, this is a testament to the toughness of Hoyt bows. Um, nothing happened. The thing that I felt hit me in the leg was one of the strings, uh, string shot um, string silencers that just basically popped out of the string. I replaced it. There was no damage to the strings. It did not derail. Um, I, I, 
basically replaced that string silencer and went out and the thing was still dialed. Didn't oh, have the bow, the bow didn't even derail. You didn't have nothing. to put it in a bow press. Nothing didn't have the only thing reason I had to press it was to put a string silencer back, replace that string silencer with one from my older bows. That was it. Mm. It did not derail. It did not damage a string. It did not bend any axles. It was like truly dead, dead nuts on. Um, wow. After I dry fired it, which was, that was a stroke of luck, but everything else about that was bad luck. So anyway, I go on to that uh, bow hunt in August uh, for Hoyt and had terrible luck. Just ne- I, I never drew my bow back on a buck that entire time. The bow was ready to go, thank goodness. But I never drew a bow back. Drew my bow back on that entire hunt. Um, then we move on to September. I'd drawn a really nice, a really good uh, Colorado elk tag, limited unit tag. Um, went on that hunt and ended up. Uh, uh, you know, I I had a bull that I hit, and apparently, you know, just by looking at it, I mean, you saw the video of that, Christian. I thought that I had killed this bull and it was a very good bull. Um, and we ended up blood trailing this thing for 800 yards and ended up losing that bull. And you know, these, these are some of the things that happen in bow hunting. Um, a lot of people won't talk about it. Uh, we try to talk about it around here when things like that happen, because it's, it's, it's part of it. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't have, um, I, I don't have a uh, uh, an explanation for it because the shot did look very good. Um, well, I was going to say, you, it, you you just sent me the video clip. Yeah. And I mean, if you showed that to 100 people, yeah, 100 experienced bow hunters, 100 of them would tell you elk is dead. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's how I felt. But, you know, once again, it, it, it was it. That hunt, even though it was in a limited entry unit, was much tougher than I was anticipating it being. Um, we didn't have near as many opportunities as I thought we were going to have. Um, it was a grind. It was a tough hunt. And the only luck that we did end up having turned out to be bad luck. And um, so now we're moving on to uh, deer season. Uh, Colorado deer season started here in October. Um, my we knew of one good buck out there that I wanted to hunt. Um, and my son had found this buck and I knew that if I was going to hunt him, I'd have to beat my son to him. Well, opening day of deer season here, my, I got a call at 8 AM from my son saying, dad, I, I shot that big deer. Uh, I need your help packing him out or get, getting him, uh, getting him out and loaded up. Um, and after that, literally uh i i could not find another deer that was I, just nothing mature at all um we've just had an extremely extremely slow fall and you know i was working and not taking time off to hunt during that time but every chance that i got i was you know leaving the house and and i generally hunt within an hour of my house here and was driving all over the place and just was not finding anything to hunt so from August all the way through the beginning of November, it's just been one thing after another. And it's, you know, one of the hardest things to do is keep your head up during that time. And, and, you know, you, you're having a terrible, 
a terrible season and it's just very easy to get negative. Yeah. Well, and that's where, you know, I don't believe uh, this so popular today manifest. Everyone's like, well, manifest this. And people think that if they just think it, think something that the universe will deliver to them, whatever they think. I don't believe in that, but I do believe that, you know, your attitude has a huge impact on your performance, you know, and if you go out there sort of expecting to have a crappy hunt, then a lot of times you're going to have a crappy hunt. (laughs) Well, a a buddy of mine named Brandon Adams recently said this to me. He said, uh, um, a positive attitude has killed more, more deer than any other weapon. And I, I, I agree with that. But when you're in the midst of a, a grind, a tough season, things aren't going your way. It's, it's really hard to maintain that positive attitude. So I, you know, going into November, I thought, okay, we're going to have a couple of, I, I had a Kansas hunt scheduled and then a Oklahoma hunt scheduled. And finally, you know, coming back here, I was going to still be able to hunt deer here at home in Colorado. And I was thinking, surely this, this crappy season is going to turn around when I get to Kansas, you know? So, well, we and I Kansas. mean, yeah. And just, you know, before you dive into that, okay. First of all, it's Kansas that yeah. enough said, but second of all, you have kind of specialized over the last, well, I'm going to say decade plus now, right? You kind of started to explore some of those areas of public ground in Western Kansas that would be, you know, what people from my part of the world wouldn't consider your prototypical whitetail country. You're talking about a lot of prairie, a lot of CRP out in those areas. Well, limited not just cover. not just Western Kansas, like central and even parts of Eastern Kansas, just focusing on focusing on terrain that isn't typically focused on. Um, okay. And yeah, regardless of whether I'm in the prairie country or whether I'm in, uh, you know, broken up timber and ag country, um, focusing on some of those more open areas uh, where you've got thick, maybe thick cover in the form of weeds and things like that uh, versus the, your, your, your hardwood bottoms where most right. bow hunters are going to go focus their energy. Gotcha. So, so you're getting away from all the guys like me trying to get into a tree and you're, you're setting up in unconventional places and it's really worked out well for you, Danny, because, um, you know, I, I think probably two, two big reasons that come to mind immediately, you're getting on bucks that for whatever reason are not living in the areas where a lot of guys are hunting. Maybe, maybe they moved over where you're hunting because of hunting pressure, in other areas, or maybe they just haven't seen a whole lot of people. And then B, because you use that stalker decoy, you're also doing a tactic where, you know, that's not the the typical trick of the bow hunter. You know, it's all ambush guys like me in a stand or a saddle, and you're giving them something a little bit different. So really, you know, getting a little long-winded, but saying, Danny has reason to be optimistic as he heads to Kansas because it's like, okay, you know, he's had some tough hunts. He's had some bad breaks, but like now he's going back to his go-to, if you will. I mean, if anything has been your go-to 
over these last 10 plus years. It's it's that Kansas, Kansas been every year. Yeah. 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 It's been one of them. And I've, I've done well, well there. And and I expect to do well there when I go back. You know, I've spent a lot of time there really familiarized with, uh, myself with some of the areas and, you know, originally began just hunting walk in there, but over the years have picked up some, you know, smaller private pieces to go along with it and met people. And, um, so these days I'm probably 50, 50 split on, uh, hunting, uh, private pieces, private parcels and, and walk-in parcels. But, um, you know, this year I did have the chance to go out there about a week early, hang some game cameras ahead of time, try and uh, figure out what was uh, what was moving where. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny because I didn't have a whole lot moving on game camera, but we did have one big buck that we were familiar with. Um, uh, a big eight point that we had three or four years worth of uh, game camera photos of that was hitting one spot that I call Jurassic Park out there on a fairly regular basis. And the night before we got there, he hit it before dark. And so we're, you know, I had hung a tree stand in there um, where that game camera took the photo of him the, the night before, you know, in daylight hours, I could shoot him from my tree stand right there as 20 yard shot. Um, I was really optimistic getting there that first night Well, me and my cameraman go out and we actually jump up in a tree stand, which isn't my number one tactic out there. Like we were talking about, we're usually uh, doing a lot of decoying from the ground, but we jumped in this tree stand and lo and behold, that buck showed up with 10 minutes daylight left, but he came in on using the wrong route. Um, he came in behind us instead of in front of us and got our wind and we ended up spooking the deer and i was thinking well it's okay he didn't really know what happened he'll certainly he'll be back the next day never came back never came back so we started hunting out there right around november 1st and the plan was to spend um oh i think it was eight days hunting there in kansas and then we were going to load up and head south to the Oklahoma, Western Oklahoma region. And I was going to be hunting with Jeremy Eldridge again from Hoyt and uh, uh, with our good friend, Brandon Adams. Well, we hunted that for, after the way that it started, where that buck came in for us, we thought we were going to have some action, but we didn't have hardly any action. I mean, it was 70 degrees every day, south winds blowing hard, deer were not moving. It was a complete grind and the, the bad luck just seemed to continue and we get to the end of that first week you know of that eight days that we had there to hunt in kansas and nothing had happened i mean it, i hadn't drawn my bow back on a deer the entire time just not having any luck the only luck we were having was bad luck once again we thought okay well sir surely when we go down here and see brandon adams in oklahoma things are going to turn around well, Brandon had three or four good mature bucks on this uh, on this property that we were going to be hunting that were showing up on camera fairly regularly. Well, when we got down there, he said, well, the good news is we've got this one buck that's moving around quite a bit. But the bad news is uh, our three of our other mature bucks are running around here. I don't know where they've gone. They're not showing up. And I don't know whether they switched areas because the onset of the rut or 
whatever. But the the grind just continued out there in Oklahoma. It was just nothing moving during daylight hours. The only photos that we were getting were at night. Only had one buck that we were really chasing on that property that we saw any proof of anyway. Um, and he was showing up on cameras exclusively at night. Uh, it was just, once again, a, a slow grind. And we spent, you know, uh, I think nine days, eight or nine days out there. And it was the same thing. I ended up leaving there and, you know, heading home with my, my tail tucked. But because we'd been that slow, I talked to, uh, I, I basically made the decision to extend and go back to Kansas for uh, an extra three days. Um, and, you know, we didn't know whether anything was going to change, but I just didn't want, I, I, I wanted to give it a chance, you know? Um, so we headed back to Kansas and in all of that time from November 1st, I think the day that we headed back to Kansas was November 15th on November 16th. We finally saw a buck chase a doe. That was the first time the entire season that wow. we saw a buck up on its feet. And in that, you know, where we were hunting in Kansas, it's wide open country. You can see a lot. And usually during that first part of November, you see bucks chasing does out across wide open prairie lands and things like that. We hadn't seen it at all. And yeah. we finally saw one on the 16th on property that we didn't have permission to hunt. But we said, you know, at least we finally got some evidence that the rut is on and that, you know, things are happening. Um, well, the next couple of days goes by and we, you know, other than seeing that one buck chasing, that was all we saw. It was just slow and it was a grind. And, uh, to, to be quite honest, I was battling just keeping a positive attitude at all. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I gotta, I gotta jump in and ask you this, Danny, cause I think people wonder, um, you know, you, you mentioned your cameraman, you're out filming all these hunts. Uh, I'm assuming for Bowhunter TV, right? Yeah, a lot and, of them and, were filmed for Bowhunter TV. So, so you know, you do a bunch of TV work, and everybody thinks it's you know would be great to be able to oh, hunt a lot yeah. and just to be out there every day. But seriously, even a guy like you who loves it as much as anybody I know, are, are there not days that you just are are tired of it? Or when you wake up in the morning, do you ever think to yourself like? Like, man, I, I just don't know if I, I want to go out there and get my ass beat again today. Hey, man, when things aren't going well, it's it's extremely hard to get motivated to get up, you know, before dark and get out there and get set up someplace when really your hopes, you know, every day you should be going out there thinking today's the day. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it can happen. It, it, it It's going to happen. Well, after you've gone, you know, 20 some odd days, and then you've had the whole month of October, the whole month of September, the whole month of August, and nothing good has happened. Nothing has come together. It is hard to get motivated to keep going at it and to go at it with that positive outlook, you know, that, you know, today's the day, something's going to, something good's going to happen. If they get in front of me, they're in trouble. It's easy to slip into that mode where you're like, oh man, all right, let's go sit down and watch the grass grow for a little while. And, you know, if something does come in, I'm sure something's going to go wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> and 
To be quite honest, when you look at things like that and something does happen, a lot of times something will go wrong. You know, if if you don't have that outlook, like, you know, you could, you could you're be like capitalize. You could be like the Patriots kicker on Sunday. Yeah. Going yeah. Wide, wide left on like a 38 yard field goal to tie the game. You got one job. Time. You, you got, got one job. job. And well, you, the important thing is. The important thing is, Danny, because we got to work a little football. In. The important thing to note here for all you football fans who are also bow hunters is that it's a good thing that Belichick traded Nick Folk, who's at 95.8% success rate on field goals this year, <laughs> for and used a fourth-round draft pick to take this kid out of Michigan who can't hit the broadside of a barn. So, but... On the, the silver lining to that is we're still in contention for a top three draft pick. So it was probably good that he shanked it anyway. So well, back to you, back that, to your that, story. Once again, that kicker's probably <laughs> just a guy that needs a couple of good things to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just needs a couple of good things to happen. But. Well, and that's the problem when you're on. Okay. There is a bow hunting analogy here. See, I knew we'd come back to it sooner or later when you're on a team that's two and eight now two and nine. Mm-hmm. there's not enough good things happening and it starts to bring everybody I'm down. Right. You. And, yeah. and, if, and, and if you could just catch a break, man, cause all these guys, let's face it. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's good teams and bad teams in the NFL, but this isn't high school football. Every mm-hmm. single one of these guys are professionals. They were among the very best players in the country at the collegiate level. And yeah. even though there is a talent gap, honestly, everybody ought to be able to compete with everyone else, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so if you can just get a break, if you can just get these guys playing to the peak of their ability, to, again, come back to your Broncos, it's amazing how good – a team can look that looked so bad. The Broncos look, you know, so meaty. How bad did they look that day? They Terrible. lost to the, to the dolphins back in September. Terrible. We gave up 70 <laughs> points. They looked terrible. If you'd have told me that they were fixing to beat, you know, the Packers and the, the, the chiefs and the bills and the Vikings. And, and I would have told you you're crazy. No way. Did they have a chance? You know what I mean? And it's, it's, that momentum and that 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 positive attitude that you feeling like something good can happen means so much. When you go into a bow hunting situation and you're coming down to the moment of truth, if you if everything in you is telling you, oh, he's in trouble, he's mine, he's mine, your chances are so much better than if when that animal's coming in, you are thinking, don't screw this up, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. And what the the thing is, is when you've been having a hard time, it's very hard not to slip into that mindset of don't screw this up rather than he's mine. And in my opinion, it, it, it's, there is a world of difference between those two mindsets and that your chances are 10 times better if you have that confidence. Oh yeah. It's the difference between 
snatching victory from the jaws yeah. of defeat or defeat from the jaws of victory. I it's, mean, like, like you said, when you go out there thinking, Hey, let's just go around, watch the grass grow. And if something good does come in, I'm sure I can find a way to screw it up. Well, I guarantee yeah, if, the, yeah, if, the, exactly. if that's your goal, I yeah. guarantee you can you find can a way to it. screw it up. Well, and <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about how it's funny. Cause there's an analogy there with the, the Broncos that the, the bills handed them the game that they, that they won against them. And just, uh, you know, sometimes it just takes something positive to happen to, you know, to help get you over it. But sometimes no matter how bad you, no matter how hard you try to screw it up, it's, it's just your time. You know what I mean? It's time for that good thing to happen. And, and the two stories that I'm about to tell you, they were the good things that I'm waiting, that I'd been waiting so long to have happen, but I did everything in my power to mess them up. Yeah. And they still, they still fell into my lap one way or another. But I did say this because, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier today when we were getting ready for the podcast, I said, you know, if there's one thing, that you can take credit for Danny is you didn't give up. Yeah. Cause, yeah. cause I think so many people and I am guilty of this, not when I'm traveling. Cause when you've traveled somewhere to hunt, you're going to hunt until you don't have any time left. Right. But trust me, when you live in Pennsylvania, like it's hard, honestly, it's hard every time I go out here because I'm like, you know, the odds of, of seeing a mature white tail, Never mind yeah. killing one are not really in your favor. And, mm-hmm. and I find it, I find it easy to fall into that trap. You know, it's much easier to stay positive in Kansas mm-hmm. or Illinois or Ohio, where you know, like, hey, I might not shoot anything this week, but at least I know there's mature deer here. So the yeah. point is you gotta keep getting out there, even though you had basically had your butt whooped again and again and again and again and again, probably over 70 days of butt whoopings at this point over the course of several months, yeah. you're still getting out of bed. You're still heading out in the field. Although I do like the well, way that this, this next story starts. Kind of you, getting out of bed. <laughs> I was going to say this next story starts with you basically oversleeping the alarm clock, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. I'm down to my last day in Kansas, the, the last day. And uh, ironically, Looking back, honestly, it, close to seventy percent of my um, uh, of my kills happen on the last day. I am a last day guy, um, and so no, going into the last your wife, day, your wife likes that because she knows no, never to never to expect you home early. She does not like it. No one likes it. No one likes it. The bosses don't like it. Every you know, I don't like it. I wish. Like that deer that showed up the first night, if he did just come in the right way, you know, a a nice first day and first day kill and relax for, you know, four or five days, that'd be great. But it never happens to me. Um, So when I'm headed out on the last day, a lot of times I've, uh, you know, I've got quite a bit of hope because I've seen it happen so many times before where it comes together on the last day. Well, on this particular day, for the first time in all of that time, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that the alarm went off and I meant to hit snooze and I hit off and I, I overslept and I woke up and it's daylight outside on my last day after this 
big long grind and i fly out of bed olin my cameraman olin get up get up we're late we got to get you know and he says what are we going to do and i said i I don't know We, we can't really go set up anywhere so i guess we're we're going to drive around and, you know, do a bunch of glassing in some of this open country and see if we can't get lucky and find a buck that's bedded down with a doe somewhere or a, a buck that we might be able to put a stock on or something like that. So we jump in the truck and, you know, of course, because I've overslept on that last moment morning, I, I don't feel like my chances of repeating some last day magic are very good. Um, we drive to our first spot. We don't see anything. We drive to our second spot. We don't see anything. Drive to our third spot. We don't see anything. Deer aren't really on their feet. They're not really moving. We're not seeing them anywhere. Um, on the way back to our camp to uh, um, uh, to eat lunch, I said, you know, there's one walk-in piece over here that I don't check very often, but the wind is good for it today. If we did see something down in there, at least the wind would be blowing the right direction. So I took a little 10 minute out of the way drive over to this spot that is kind of a obscure, you know, it's not plan A or plan B. It's kind of an afterthought most of the time. Top the hill and here, uh, raise the binoculars up and immediately spot a doe. And 15 yards behind her is this big 10 point buck. And there's a couple of smaller bucks that are off on the peripheries and we're watching them from, you know, 800 yards away almost a thousand yards away and we watch uh them go down into this weed patch and um the doe bedded down one of those smaller bucks we sat there and watched him from the hill move in close to where the buck was bedded with the doe he got up he didn't immediately charge at him or anything he just kind of stood there posturing and eventually the smaller buck just left and then a few minutes later uh uh, another smaller buck comes in, does the same thing, got kind of on his comfort zone. They're about 50 or 60 yards from him. The big buck stood up, postured at him for a few minutes, and then eventually started marching over toward him. And that caused that little buck to lose his nerve, and he ran off. Well, we watched the big buck go back over and bed down with that doe, and we gave him enough time to where we felt like they were in their bedded position for the day. Um, so we go ahead and we uh, we start working our way down there and the hard part was was that there there was a there was a bottom that gave us some terrain to hide in as we were approaching but to get to that bottom you were walking across wide open exposed stuff and if either that doe or that buck stood up out of that weed bed that they were bedded down in they would have been able to see us um but we got lucky that was first stroke of good luck that happened where we were able to get over to that bottom and then we had some cover to work in there and we worked into about 100 yards from where they were and in you know this is funny because where i'm hunting right there is prairie state but this is a method that i've used in a lot of midwest states and you know ag ground a lot of times when bucks go pin a doe down they aren't pinning them down right in that area where you've got your tree stand hung up they're running them out to the edge of some, you know, uh, cut cornfield or something with a weed patch on the edge or a, a, a fence row that has a bunch of deep cover on it. Um, a lot of times they pin those does down out in the wide open because they're trying to get that doe away from all the other bucks. 
They're trying to get her into an isolated position where they've got them and the likelihood of another buck coming in and picking up her hot scent isn't very good because he wants to lock her down there for, you know, 24 to 48 hours and breed her till he's done with her and then run out and find another one. And oftentimes they go running down into the areas where we typically hang tree stands. They find another hot doe and then they chase her out into the, into the wide open obscure areas again. You know, um, that's exactly where he had this doe. So our plan was to put a, a stalker decoy, buck decoy on my bow and then sneak in there, you know, 60 or 70 yards or something like that. And then one of the most important pieces to this, the, this tactic is to let them hear a grunt before they hear or see you. If the first thing they hear is a grunt, they immediately think somebody's found me in this hot dough. And when they stand up and they look over and they see what they're ex already expecting to see, then the chances that they're going to come in and try and run you off are exponentially greater than if you push your luck and you get in there too close and, and they happen to stand up and see you before they've heard a grunt. It's almost like that grunt is a primer, so to speak. Um, so. I left my cameraman back a little bit and I crawled in there directly toward where the deer were bedded down. And I was just about to stop and give that primer grunt that I want to give. And all of a sudden the buck stood up by himself for no, no apparent reason. I don't think he heard me. I think he just stood up, you know, like they'll do off and on throughout the day when they've got a doe locked down. Well, he turns and he sees my buck decoy standing there and I'm on my knees in some grass that's probably knee deep um and he just stood there at first he stood there for probably oh close to five minutes or something like that and eventually i gave him a little bit a little bit of a grunt and he closed the he he kind of he would posture he'd blow up stick his ears back rake some of the weeds that were in front of him and he's in deep weeds he's in weeds that are probably all you can really see of him is his head sticking out well he's that that posturing deal is him trying to get me to go ahead and leave without him actually having to leave his doe laying there he wants to just stand up posture flex his muscles and get me to take off well when i won't take off and it, it, this probably went on for close to 15 minutes it was a 15 minute stare down when I wouldn't leave and that little buck decoy that I'm hiding behind won't leave, he eventually starts marching his way over to me to try and force the issue. And well, he, you know, he starts coming, starts coming, starts coming. And it took him five minutes probably to go from the 70 yards where he was at to walk on into about 25. And at that 25 yard range, he's got a little bit of a hill that he's walking over toward me. And I know that if he gets to the if he if he gets to the right spot, he's no longer going to just be able to see the top of my decoy. He's going to be able to see my entire lower body and, you know, the bottom part of the bow and everything. And I don't really want him to see all that. Um, if he's looking at the top of that decoy, it's really easy to think that that decoy is a deer. If he sees my whole lower body and everything, it's much more it's much more difficult to fool him and make him think that that's a deer. So he, he kind of turned, um, to, to start circling me and I went ahead and drew the bow and it just so happens when I drew the bow, 
he took another step or two almost completely broadside and just stood there and watched me draw the bow and put the pin on him and and take him man um so i made a pretty good shot yeah i saw that video that was i mean honestly that was an awesome encounter oh it was and that form of when you're on the ground with them and they come back they come in with their ears pinned and and puff their chest up and blown up like a gorilla it will test any bow hunter's metal. I don't care how seasoned you are. You are on the verge of having a meltdown when that happens to you. You know, it's just, there's, it's indescribable unless you've been there before on the ground with them like that, staring right at you. It, you're everything in you is telling you be still, don't move, but you actually need to move. You need to, you, you, Drawing your bow actually helps sometimes because that move, they're expecting to see movement out of that decoy. But uh, I made a good shot. Um, He ran over the weed bed. Uh, We recovered him not too much longer. We were tickled to death because finally, after this big, long grind, we had, we got an episode of the TV show. We've got a great buck that was down. And, you know, to be quite honest, I was tickled to death just to have one buck finally down after this grind since you know four month long grind now how big was that buck danny uh he's about 100 and he's probably mid 150s without his uh uh if he hadn't broken one brow tine off and without that bright brow tine he's right at 150 gotcha. uh, 150 inch 10 point yeah i mean just a beautiful and he was rutted up i mean he had a linebacker neck on him and uh yeah, just uh, it's amazing, you know, what you're able to do with those decoys. I'm always I'm always in awe of the encounters that you get out there because um, it's just almost never done. It, it's a, it's, in, an, in part, it's an underestimated yeah, for sure, you know, yeah. and it really starts to blow people's minds when you go and you're doing the same thing in, you know, Iowa, uh, Illinois. Missouri, you know, the, the, the heart of the Midwest where everybody, you know, wants to flock to go whitetail hunting. And quite honestly, it works fantastic out there. There it's not something that they're accustomed to. Um, and until you really do some research and start figuring it out, it's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile tactic. It's something that is very effective. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, for, you know, you asked how big that buck was. He was plenty big after that kind of grind on the last day, he was plenty big. Oh, (laughs) well, look, 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 (laughs) don't, don't ever forget that 150 inch deer is a big white tail. And, and, you know, when you work in the industry, you know, and you're fortunate enough to maybe kill a few really big bucks, uh, which you and I both have, um, I don't want to imply or make anybody who's listening think that for a second, I wouldn't be thrilled with a hundred. I mean, heck, I get thrilled with a 140 inch whitetail, 135 inch. Yes, 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 absolutely. For me, I don't give a crap what that thing scores. You know, what I really care about is, you know, is it a, a... I'm pretty far into my bow hunting journey. I like to try and kill mature animals. I don't care whether that's a big, you know, uh, a giant two by three, or if it's a, 
uh, a 10 point if it's an older mature animal and he does something that trips my trigger during the process it is that's the reward for me you know that's that's what i care about more than anything and this was a nice mature deer and he definitely definitely tripped my trigger and you know just it was a spectacular hunt and a, a you know a great payoff for uh, all of that grind but it was this finally something good happened you know finally something you know something good happened to kind of improve your outlook mm-hmm. and you know? so and so you got that and i i don't remember now what was the date um that was november 18th that was november 18th when i shot that buck gotcha so and that was what middle of the day when you killed that yeah thing. yeah it was middle of the day on a day that i slept in the only that, day i slept way, in anybody who knows me knows that i'm a big sleep in man i mean like <laughs> if you can if you can sleep in and kill a big buck that's about as good <laughs> oh, as it dude. gets ferris so I, you're like at the top of my like admiration list right now i'll tell you what that's not the best way to do it i don't think but no it, it and was, i'm still it I'm was still fortuitous waiting. I'm still waiting to find someone because I threaten it, but I don't actually have the balls to go through with this. Mm -hmm. But maybe you, maybe you do. Uh, I want to find a, you know, hardcore whitetail hunter to take the 10 to two challenge and take mm. one November and say, you can't hunt the morning and you can't hunt the evening. You can only hunt 10 to two. Now get it done. And I don't know if that guy or girl, would punch a tag, but I guarantee they'd be the most well-rested whitetail hunter in America. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I have my doubts about how successful they would be, but I, I dude, I know of some pretty successful bow hunters that don't hunt the mornings. All they hunt is afternoons. Yeah. Um, well, I tell Lindell when I retire, I'm not hunting mornings anymore. If I ever, <laughs> I ever retire and I have, a farm you know or some acreage with some decent deer hunting why in the world would i get out there you know at five in the morning i just would hunt the last two hours of the day every yeah. day every day yes sir anyway yeah. we're getting off off topic because we've got a circle around danny so yeah you kill this deer in kansas and you throw it in the so, back of the truck or whatever and head head home yeah we we head home um my wife was glad to have me home and was thinking that she was going to have her husband back for a few days. Well, after I think the first day that I got home, I, you know, got everything put away and dealt with getting that deer over to the processor and things like that. And, um, the next day, uh, I went out and checked some of my trial cameras that I have here at home. And, you know, like I said, during the month of October, I'd been scratching. I mean, there wasn't anything for me to hunt. I could not find anything, couldn't lay eyes on anything, didn't have anything on my cameras. It was bad. Well, now we're, you know, into the almost knocking on the door of the third week of November. The rut for both the muleys and the whitetails is going on pretty hard. And I live in eastern Colorado where we've got a mixture of both. Um and uh one of the spots that i that i checked and this is a funny spot it's a private land spot um uh, a rancher friends a friend of us uh, ours lets us hunt there and 
this spot is really dependent upon where his cows are. Well, if he's got his cows in the wrong pasture on the on this creek bottom, you're done. If his cows are up top on some of the other pasture land and that creek's being left alone, it can be really good. Well, I got back to find out that his cows were up top. He'd pulled them out of that creek bottom country and I was like, oh, I need to go check those game cameras. And as soon as I got to him, I found uh, a photo on the 19th of this buck that we're very familiar with. I've got pictures going back to 2018, or I'm sorry, yeah, 2018 of this deer, I believe. And um, I'm almost certain that in 2018, he was a three-year-old, and in 2019, he was four. Um, just evaluating those photos from back then. But we've I've never laid eyes on him um, in the in the daylight. The only way that I know him is cameras. Um, he's a big, mature eight point. And if he was four years old in 2019, that makes him eight years old now. And like I said, I'd never seen this guy, but here he is in broad daylight on November 19th. Um, and this was November 20th when I was checking the cameras. And there's a couple other photos of him in there as well, daylight photos. And I came home and uh, Mrs. Ferris was excited to find out that I am turning around and going right back out after this deer immediately after being gone all that time, which was not an easy conversation to have. Um, and I don't care how much you explain that, uh, hey, oh, this only happens during November. If I if I delayed, you know, till after Thanksgiving, he's going to change what he's doing. He's going to be gone, you know. Oh, yes, I've heard this before, you know. Well, Anyway, I go out there <laughs> and I, I have a tree stand down in that area. And we set I went and set up in that tree stand. And, and it's kind of cool because this one was not filmed. It's just me hunting for me. And that's really fun to do when you spend a lot of time chasing them with cameras, you know. Um, it's a relief once in a while to just go out and hunt for yourself, you know, and that, just have a good time. Um, well, I didn't see him on the night of the 21st. The morning of the 22nd, I went out, got in the same tree stand, and about an hour after daylight, here he comes following two does up, and he didn't come by me. He, 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 was, uh, he was out in the open ground and came into the creek about 300 yards up from where I was, and I watched him push these does up into a thicket area about 400 yards from my stand, and they obviously bedded down there for the day. Well, everything in me told me just stay in the stand. I, I need to stay here and camp on him and see what he, you know, at any point during that day, he could chase one of those does down the Creek and be right in front of me. Well, I had some obligations that I had to take care of after being gone that long. I had to get out of the stand, got out of the stand in the middle of the day, came back in as early as I could that afternoon. And right about sunset, uh, I see him and these does pop out from that same thicket. And, Lo and behold, they they start working their way up the creek toward me. And what I found odd was that he wasn't really pushing those does very hard. He was hanging back 50 yards behind them. And they were the ones that were going to get to me first. And when they were about 60 yards out, all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, one of those does just starts running around playing like a fawn. And I mean, just jumping and sowing her oats and running around in a big 200 yard circle. And, you know, like 
I'm just sitting there watching him. Like, what is he going to do? He was 50 yards beyond them. So he's probably 110 yards from me. And he just stood there and watched these two does frolicking, you know, and he never moved. Well, the does ended up coming out of the Creek bottom and moving out across uh, this pasture land to my right. Well, he stays on the Creek and he's working his way toward me. And I'm thinking this is all going to be perfect. Well, he he didn't follow the creek like he should. He ended up cutting a corner and kind of cutting out of it and then coming back down into it way out on my left at like 75 yards. So now I've got does on my right and I've got the buck on my left and I'm watching him just praying that, dude, come back to these does. Why are you just leaving them? And I, I think what probably had happened was he had bred one of those does for the last 24 hours and was just ready to give her up and maybe why that doe was running around frolicking was like oh finally i'm free you know what i mean he's not chasing me anymore you know well i'm waiting to see what he's going to do and he just slowly turns and starts heading the opposite direction leaving and i'm like oh shoot well you know i'm i gotta try something so i pull out a grunt call and I grunt at him a couple of times and he just stands there. He heard it. He stands there and he looks back behind me and, you know, he was trying, kind of trying to decide whether he was going to come or not. So when he turned his head, every time he would turn his head away from me, I would go ahead and grunt because I feel like if their head's not facing you, they can't pinpoint where that grunt was. If their head is looking right in your direction and their ears are cupped that way, they're going to know exactly where it came from. Well, I just got a little bit more aggressive on the grunt and finally it turned him around and he starts coming back toward me and he got to about 50 yards from me and I don't have a shot at all. Like he's, he's behind some stuff. He needs to come about 10 yards to the left to be in one of my openings. Well, he gets there to about 50 yards and he's, you can tell he's looking around. Now he can see everything under my tree stand and he's like, well, there's no buck there. You know, I've, uh, I, I hear this grunting, but he can see everything. There's no buck, you know? So he turns and he starts to leave again. And this time I get, I'm just going to throw the book at him. I'm going to get aggressive. And when he got, he was probably, oh, about 80 yards and, and heading the opposite direction. But he's walking through knee deep grass. It's kind of swooshing as he goes. Well, I start grunting at him and he can't hear the grunts because of that swooshing uh, you know, going through that grass, he's not even turning his head. So finally I snort wheeze at him when he's about a hundred yards away. And I just threw that when he stops and he turns and he looks real hard. And now I don't care whether he's, he's far enough away. I don't know how well he's going to be able to hear the grunts anyway. So I start with like a heavy tending grunt, you know, and then a bunch of little popping grunts, like a buck that's really involved with the doe. Bap, 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 bap. And you can just see his body language like, okay, where is he? And here he comes, like on a trot back toward me. Now, when this is happening, I've been, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I think this is my 38th year bow hunting. I've been doing it a while. And you would think that after that much time that, your nerves wouldn't get to you at some point you're, you're going to get better at dealing with them. Christian, I lost control of my legs. I'm standing up 
facing the tree because he's coming in behind me where he's, you know, he's supposed to be in front of me. If he'd have followed the creek like he was supposed to, he'd be right in front of me for a nice, easy shot. This buck, he's going to come behind me. I'm going to have to kind of lean out around the tree. My legs start bouncing. And I, I mean shaking uncontrollably. And the harder that I tried to get them to stop shaking, the worse it got. And the next thing you know, both of my legs are going like jackhammers. And the, the stand is bouncing probably four inches at the <laughs> at the end of the stand bouncing up and down and you can hear it it is going and when that buck hit about 40 yards he stops and he's like you know what the heck is that and <laughs> i literally whether he's looking my direction or not i've got a little bit of cover in between us you know from the branches from the trees i have to squat down into basically a squatting position in order to put tension on my quads and my knees to try to get my legs to stop doing what they're doing. And when I, when I did that, he, you know, he stood there and he's licking his lips and he's, you can tell he's trying to make his mind up whether he should keep coming or not. Cause he just heard something really squirrely and he probably saw a little bit of movement through the tree up there. And so now I need to slide my butt onto the seat of the stand so, because I can't really shoot in this squatting position that I'm in. And when I do that, in order to get onto the, the seat of the stand quietly, I reach out to, to like brace myself with something with a limb on the tree as I slide my butt onto it. And when I did that, I bumped my rattling antlers mm. and they fell out of the tree. <laughs> And they hit the ground down there below the tree. Now they're on the opposite side of the tree than this buck is, <laughs> but you hear this clank, and then you, you know, like it made noise in the leaves on the ground down there. And I am just like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. This is, this is uh for all you listeners. This is the professional this oh, is professional bow hunter right here. This is know? a professional idiot is what it is. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is the same guy that dry fired his bow earlier in the year. And frick, I just dude oversleeps on the last day that he gets in, you know, that he has to hunt. Now he's got this big, mature eight year old buck that he's got this big, long history with coming at him. And I do everything but fall out of the tree myself. You might and, have. Uh, hopefully you were harnessed in. Oh, dude, I, 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 I was harnessed in, but uh, it, that was the only other thing that I could have done to screw this up. <sighs> Miraculously, I think that when he heard those antlers hit the ground and the leaves rustle, that he's like, oh, there must be a dip back there or something that I can't see. And that's where that buck is. He came another 10 yards, stepped right into my doggone shooting lane allowed me to come around the tree and put the pin on him. And I made a good shot uh, somehow with my pin and bow jumping around, like, you know, uh, uh, a, for like lack a of a better reference, like a molded jello salad. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> just... <laughs> so I put an arrow in this buck and, and, you know, I, I, I just got to say my buddy, I got out of there and, and left him and uh, went home. And my buddy, Bill Pellegrino, that lived 
was out here in Colorado, owns a big pro shop out here. He came and uh, helped me recover this deer. And we walked up to him, Christian, and it's just one of those deer that, um, uh, you know, he's, he, he's not the biggest deer that I've ever shot rack wise, but, uh, his body was so big that he looked fake, you know, just, he looked fake. Um, his, his face and his head and the size, the girth of his neck and his shoulders and the length of that deer, um, it just one of the most impressive deer that I've ever seen on the ground, you know? And so long story short, that was four days after shooting that last day buck in Kansas. And on both of these bucks, you know, I did everything humanly possible to screw the situations up. Um, but somehow I hit my way out of that slump, you know, in after months of grinding and just having nothing good happening. It's like if you if you just hang in there long enough uh, and keep trying, even if it doesn't happen this season, might happen the next season. But those moments, those those moments where you fall to pieces like that and then it works out are the ones that we live for. If we didn't fall to pieces like, you know, fall to pieces like that, it wouldn't be it it really wasn't that noteworthy of a situation, you know, and yeah. And I, you know, something that I said to you earlier on was that if, if we don't think that there is a, a, an enormous luck factor that comes into this, um, because you can't, you can work hard, you can go out there and you can work on your property and you can do, you know, prepare for the, go to the gym and prepare for this, do all your practicing and prepare and prepare and prepare. But at some point during all of this, Number one, you've got to be out there and you've got to keep trying. But number two, it's like you got to have those little breaks go your way once in a while. And sometimes they're going to and sometimes they're not. But if you hang in there long enough, they're going to. They're going to. And you're going to reap the the reward for all your efforts. Well, you know, it it makes me think of a couple things, you know, and and for me, I mean, I'm a I'm maybe a little bit more of a spiritual guy. There's a there's a saying that I love. God God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. In mm. other words, you know, That's in a other good words, saying. you know, when God wants you to do something, I'm not saying God wants us to kill big bucks, although right, I right. think that there are times that he might but, smile but, on you. But uh the point is, you know humility this is where i'm going with this danny is humility because there's a lot of great bow hunters out there and i do not want to minimize the value of hard work if you no. do a lot of a lot of habitat work there's no doubt you are up in your odds of success if yeah. you spend a lot of time out there on the range in the summertime and you can hit a quarter at 100 yards you know semi consistently there's no doubt you are up in your odds of success but but you have to understand that no matter how good of a bow hunter you are, you're never completely under control out there. You're not in, in control. control. No, no, you're not in control. And, no. and, and, you know, if, if you don't have instances or seasons like you had this year where, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's the good Lord 
for, for, for somebody else, it's luck or whatever you want to call it. But you don't have these experiences that remind you, Danny, yeah. Christian, you're going to succeed, not because of yourself, but in spite of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. And so just keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. And keep your head screwed on straight and understand that it's good to be good, but yeah. it's even better to, to be, be lucky. lucky or to yeah. be blessed or whatever you yes. want to say, because yes. that's just bow hunting. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's why you shouldn't open your mouth when your buddy does something stupid, like not put an arrow in their bow yeah. before they shoot it. Because as soon as you do, one day it's going to be your turn and <laughs> one day it's going to be your turn. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty staunch about not messing with people about making a bad shot or whatever. You know, I've long been a believer that there's three kinds of bow hunters. There's those that hardly ever, ever shoot those that occasionally miss and liars. And it, it, like, as soon as you start thinking you, we were talking about streaks and momentum and things like that. And, you know, I'm hoping that these good things that just happened to me at the end of this grind and ended up with two really spectacular, mature deer on the ground, you know, that I'm super proud of. I'm hoping that they change my momentum going into next year and that I'm going to get on one of these streaks where I just can't seem to do anything wrong. Like I did on that last buck. I tried everything I could to screw it up, but it still happened. You know, you know what kind of pisses uh, me off about that when you dropped the somewhere yeah, out antlers. there. Yeah, I, I hope that he's not listening or whatever, because somewhere out there, I don't remember what the name of it was. I know there was a grunt tube that had a thing that you could put down the ground. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that there was rattling antlers the same way. And there was a rope that you could rig up into your tree stand and you could rattle at ground level so that it would be more realistic. Yeah. And I always kind of laughed at that stuff. But I mean, you basically just give him a big endorsement for a product like that based on dropping those antlers out of the tree. Well, to be completely honest, we could probably drop antlers out of the tree in front of 10 different mature bucks and it might work once. <laughs> you know what I <laughs> or mean? Or maybe once out of 100. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, who knows? But it it worked that day, you know, and it, it the, the stars aligned. But, um, you know, I... I, I hope that this was a momentum builder for me, but the key is when you are out of the slump and you've built some momentum and you're in that stage where it feels like, you know, you can do no wrong. If you draw back, something's going to die. Don't get too happy about yourself. Keep that humility. You find a way to keep it, you know, now at, at the same time, you got to be confident when they're coming in. You got to feel like you're you're about to you're going to succeed, you know. Um, but don't get too full of yourself because as soon as you do, it'll be your turn to grind. You know, just just be grateful. Just be yeah. grateful for be grateful. for all the successes and even for the failures, you know, and the yeah. screw ups because it uh, it all comes around. Well, listen, man, you know, you and I. This year, I'm going to, I mean, first of all, I'm going to congratulate you on two fantastic bucks. 
thing. And then and then I'm going to turn around and basically kind of make an excuse for myself, you know, with Timmy being a senior this year, I really took a back seat and didn't travel a whole lot and really haven't given the full whitetail effort, but I have to give you the crown because Danny and I kind of, I can't really compete with Danny on the antelope and the elk and the mule deer because I just don't get a chance living in Pennsylvania to hunt those near as often as Danny does living in Colorado. But on the whitetails, we kind of have a friendly rivalry and, you know, it's not completely over for me, but with all I really have being hunting here at home in Pennsylvania, I'm going to go ahead and sort of concede probably the whitetail crown to you uh, for 2023. But I want you to know that that just like the Patriots, I'm hoping to get a high draft pick in 24, which for, for me would mean probably getting some, you know, good hunts set up in places like Kansas and Illinois and you know, Kentucky or whatever. And I want to give myself a fighting chance to at least give you a little more of a run for your money in, in 24 than I gave you in 23. Well, first thing I want to say is thank God that we're watching Belichick go through the grind now. Cause a lot of us have been waiting a heck of a long time for, <laughs> for it to happen. I just like the um, way you pronounce his name. It's Belichick, not Belichick. Belichick. Belichick, what you, you know? You're thinking the, of Brett Bielema. He was like a, a college the, coach, right? The grouchy little troll. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 glad to see him grinding um, because uh, it, it, it's a long time coming. But uh, uh, I'll I'll tell you what, man. Uh, in our white tail crown going forward, we 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 need to specify and and make sure that we understand it's not a score thing. It can't ever be a score thing because in my honest opinion you could go out there and if you end up killing some six-year-old buck in the state of pennsylvania where these things are you know i don't think i'll ever do it in my lifetime to be honest that's fine that's like finding a unicorn and i don't care if that deer is 125 inches if it's a good mature buck in the state of pennsylvania you know and you found this unicorn well Dude, you can't take, we can't base it on how big the rack was. You know what I mean? No, I hear you. Yeah. 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 But, but, but that being said, I mean, you had pretty good stories to go with yours too. And I mean, what are the odds of me dry firing my bow and, and killing a 125 six-year-old in Pennsylvania? I mean, it's, it's everything. It's quality of folk. I mean, we, we have a pretty multifaceted yet totally arbitrary, you know, ranking system, but quality yeah. of photography, you, you're high on that. You have good anecdotes to go with your hunts, quality of specimen, you know, overall you had good footage of, of your at least one of your encounter. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think I can. I don't think I can catch you this year, Ferris. <laughs> just take it, damn it. Take the crown. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. After the season I've had, I've had, I'd love. I'm proud to don it. There you have it. So, but like I said, just know. I feel like, you know, we've 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 kind of traded it back and forth i think pretty consistently in the last handful of years so i'm due I'd, for a, a good whitetail year again i'd next say you top me more often than i've topped you but so I, that's I'm because glad, i I'm just glad to get it that's because i'm more of a one-trick pony <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot more different species to hunt you know yeah I, anyway 
Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate, I appreciate you having it. me on here, being able. I hope I didn't bore anybody with those long well, stories. I hope not, too, because I think we went like closer to an hour and a half than an hour. So if you were boring, this is going to be one of the crappiest episodes <laughs> we ever have. I'm going to get like 26 downloads on this one. <laughs> no, I think it's going to go pretty well. And, I, you know, I think it's a good, hey, it was a good topic because, you know, let's face it, we're coming we're coming, you know, and let's close with this. We're coming past the point that most of us really look forward to when you're talking whitetails. Like, there's still good, don't get me wrong, there's still good hunting left. But, you know, the end of this week, we're into December. So it is kind of gut check time for those of us with still butt tags in our pockets. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you got to kind of like tighten the belt a couple of notches drink a stiff cup of coffee and look in the mirror and like ask yourself whether you're willing to suffer a little bit to try to get this done because you know there's not as many bucks out there as there were a month ago the rut is going to be winding down i mean yeah we got secondary rut but that's catch as catch can and um you know let's face it it's colder windier not quite as fun to be out there as it was uh in peak yeah. rut you got to find a way to start building some momentum. Pay attention to those little victories that you got up on time, that you went out there and suffered in that cold, that you were in a good looking setup, that you enjoyed a really cool sunrise, that you saw a couple of bucks off in the distance, you know, that you shot your bow well when you got home. Those little ones start building. You build that momentum and then something, something good is going to happen. All right, man. Well, I can't give a better last word than that. So. With that, I will just say thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time on the Bowhunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bowhunting Podcast. All bowhunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand, or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.